to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Miles Runham, who is a digital consultant, former general manager at search engine Ask.com, and formerly head of digital at the BBC Academy. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice, and it will help others to find us. And thank you if you've already done so. Now let's get into it. Miles, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back, in fact. <laughs> uh, now, Miles, we spoke um, on an earlier episode of the podcast that's over a decade ago in lockdown years, or, or perhaps it was just 2019, uh, but it feels longer than that. Um, now, on that episode, we talked about digital capabilities because we shared a view that L&D was largely remiss of these and believed this accounted for many failing, failed uh, learning tech implementations and why digital technology has largely failed to deliver results at scale within our profession. And here we are again, but as I suppose maybe it doesn't start with capability is, uh, is, is what we discussed uh, previously. And, uh, and to the point of a, a blog post that you published very recently, maybe it starts with a mindset. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's interesting reflecting on that. And remembering that conversation from what does feel like an, another universe, another lifetime now, <laughs> um, I think probably what what I've thought about since then, uh, and in sort of considering in writing that blog post was was the fact that that whether it starts with the right mindset or not, I, I guess the having the right mindset is is a prerequisite. Of, of success so you can't mm. succeed i think in digital initiatives whether it's digital change or implementation product development without a good mindset you'll limit your chances of success mm. so and i think mindset means a number of different things which i'm sure we'll, we'll come on to and part of it's about you know how you organize part of it's about how you take decisions part of it's about how you set the vision and you know, mm. part of it then is about how you attract and organize those capabilities mm. uh, you know into an organization perhaps that's more a kind of digital leadership mindset set so so i think what i've discovered in working with clients uh, and and in, in previous life on reflection is that that actually a lot of what i help clients do is start to develop or understand what that mindset and those ways of working look and feel like and i think mm. that's something that that has been i guess what i was reflecting on in part in the blog post that that feels like something that's been really valuable about the work i do not wanting to blow my own trumpet but <laughs> you know actually what what does work for clients where they're satisfied is because we're working on those themes mm. so i think it's you know it's kind of foundational even if it might not be the, the only first place to start if that makes sense yeah and you mentioned uh, a previous life there uh, and just in case the listener hasn't uh, listened back to uh, to that previous podcast um you know very personally, there's a, there's a there's a very good reason why I've invited you back onto the podcast to discuss this. And that's because you really know what you're talking about when it comes to digital. Could you just explain to the listener your digital credentials and what you've seen outside of L&D that leads you to believe that as a profession, we're a little way behind? I, I was a little bit uh, um, nervous in, in, in reading this question, actually, David, in preparation for this. And it makes me feel a little bit old and thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about answering it. But I guess, you know, I've been around what we now call digital uh, since before it was called digital. So, so I've been working in, you know, sort of Internet or digital related services and businesses since since the days of, you know, of, of the of the, the bubble and bust, uh, you know, mm. at, the, at the turn of the millennium. So probably most importantly, I did some work in management consulting uh, around 
you know, the information superhighway and the impact that was going to have, that was probably pre, you know, sort of pre-bubble. Mm. And then, then I spent time working at Ask Jeeves, which then became Ask.com. And that, I think that's where a lot of these themes really, um, really started to, to come to life for me. But I think what's interesting and in sort of reflecting back to that time, so working in asks in various guises in marketing product development strategy and then sort of you know in commercial roles as well was that we were working what we now call digitally but we didn't realize it at the time we were just doing work um, mm. so we had you know a clear focus on data and analysis you know particularly you know in in, in uh, um commercial and digital advertising businesses you know that's that's kind of it's your oxygen really you can't you can't move without it without the data and mm. arguably we had too much uh, even back then so this was you know now alarmingly 20 years ago uh, um the, you know these were themes that um that we were working towards we had a very sharp user focus because we competitively we had to mm. um and that meant a number of different things understanding you know what users require um and, and we also had to to be very um agile in in developing the product and the platform so there was a lot of you know we were living build measure learn mm -hmm. um as we went uh, you know before it had been sort of documented as an approach i guess so so that, i think that sort of in terms of history that's where i pick up uh, um, a lot of my digital background and moving that through to you know roles more content related um, as the, the the head of interactive learning, so it's a rather pompous BBC job title, uh, running BBC's uh, education services, including uh, GCSE Bite Size is probably the big brand there, and then onto mm. the, the head of digital role at the academy. So it's been a long journey in digital, and then you know, um, but but I think what's what's been interesting about that is observing how L and D is starting to warm to these themes now. You know, yeah. and now I mean the sort of last perhaps, you know, sort of one to two years and then with a the real urgency since, you know, since the COVID impact uh, of the last 12 months. Mm. And I'll come on to that in, uh, in just a moment. But um, uh, something's just uh, occurred to me, as you said, about putting the user first uh, has been um, uh, a core principle to what it is that you do and I feel digital principles um for for as long as there's been uh, there's been digital but there is a phrase that is um uh, that litters my comments boxes whenever i place um uh, a post about user centricity uh, or uh, uh, understanding the employee journey and that's that the learner so if we look focus on that phrase not one i particularly like but the learner doesn't know what they need to learn which i think as a mindset and as a belief has prevented us from truly adopting a user-centric approach because of our firm belief that the learner doesn't know what they need to learn. Would you like to tackle that one <laughs> at this early stage? Yeah, it's a good one, isn't it? it yes, it's a, it's a big one. It's, it, feel, it feels like that there's a sort of slightly kind of patrician and, and patronising approach, I think, that, that can hide behind those remarks of, you know, people mm. don't know what's good for them. And, and we'll tell them what's good for them. They don't want to be all brand, you know, but it's good for them. So we'll try and persuade them mm. uh, that, you know, that, that that's your, your most healthy dose of fiber in the morning as well, not to be too flippant about it. Yeah. And I think, and I think there is in it, I suppose it's, you know, it, it does extend into this theme of mindset. If, if you believe that, that you're 
ultimate stakeholder, which is the person who's going to be using or doing this stuff, whatever it mm. is, uh, doesn't know what's good for them, then you kind of you need to go and find out yeah. uh, um, and you need to approach them on their terms to understand how and why this is relevant for them. Why will this be useful? How, you know, how to motivate them if, if required. So I, I think I think, you know, you can get stuck on a distance from your audience uh, or mm. stuck at a distance from your audience if you don't break that down you know if, if you think you know better or perhaps even more concerningly if you think that someone else in your organization knows better without going to check and working with your audience then i, I think you're you know you're on thin ice yeah i think and i think i do think in my experience it's one of one of the reasons why digital L&D activity can falter and, and fail is because it doesn't have that insight. So mm. why, you know, what's in it for me? Why is this useful? What problem will this solve from, from the user's perspective? It doesn't mean that you'll get funding just because, you know, for, for a project or you'll be required to do it simply because users demand it. There's always an organizational imperative and a context, you know, commercial mm. or change management or, you know, projects require it. But you have to have that insight from, from the user's point of view. Uh, you know, whether you call it empathy or, you know, user research, etc. If you don't have that, then I, I really think you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, touching on something else that you, uh, that you mentioned in the previous response, that, um, these COVID and lockdown times have hastened the adoption of digital, in inverted commas, in L&D. Uh, and there's been a scramble to transfer face-to-face -face content onto digital formats. But this is generally speaking, one tiny part of what it means to do digital. And without other important elements, which you already touched on there in the previous um, uh, response, it can be pretty ineffective. Can you describe to us how this approach to creating digital solutions, again in inverted commas, sometimes misses the mark? Well, I, I guess... I I think what, what what we've all observed, either personally or you know through through conversations or you know for yourselves, through, you know through through the clients you work with, is that people have had to make a, quite a dramatic change in some, in many instances really really quickly, um, and have either through necessity or through choice have done what you described, which is almost transfer existing activities into the digital realm. Mm. So, you know, we've seen, I think there's been a focus on instruction. So how do you have uh, our instruction activity to digital? So that tends to be, you know, the, something that, that looks and feels like a webinar or a virtual classroom. That's been a huge area of, of growth and demand. Looks like it won't stop. And it's been you know, the ongoing then transfer of, of some of that instruction activity into the creation and distribution of content. Mm. And I think that's where... I think there's there's a real kind of preoccupation and focus in L&D on those two areas of activity when we talk about digital change we talk about digital instruction and we talk about the creation and distribution of content mm. they you know they they are probably going to be very very important but I think they're only a part of the story yeah and I think one of the one of the ways that I think it's, that that I try to think about this I guess is that to me there are two two really important foundations alongside this sort of you know what should be an obsession with with user focus um it is there's connection and data are almost like they're they're the kind of building blocks of, of mm. the digital world and i i think we maybe we'll come to data later which i think is something that you know that, that, that as lnd we all we all really still struggle with mm. but i think i think we don't necessarily make the most of that theme of connection we tend to think of connection in an lnd world as being connected to a system yeah. connected to an instructor 
you know, in whatever guise that might be, you know, to a facilitator or, you know, a course leader or whatever, and connected to content. And I think that those are important connections, but they're a limited set of connections that are, that are available because of digital. Mm. So I think exploring those other areas of connection is, is, is a really important theme. And it's starting to happen, I think. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that, uh, that, well, first of all, as, uh, as, you, as you were talking now, I think that, uh, that the L&D approach to solutions, it's the tip of the sword, isn't it? That if you're providing content and a platform, that is the tip of the sword, but it's not the sword. And if you took a tip of a sword into battle, you're going to get stabbed really early on because it's because you're not you're not dealing with anything substantial. And, and then I then I thought then that, um, you know, examples of what you're describing here is the is the uh, the transition uh, from classrooms to virtual uh, classrooms and training sessions, providing libraries of e-learning, investing in a new LXP to replace the L um, the LMS. Um, replacing what would have been a predominantly face-to-face offering. Um, it misses the point, doesn't it? Because it's, it's all about providing an end experience that kind of assumes so much about the end user, their situation, um, their, the challenges that they currently face, their current level of, uh, of capability and their will to do something else. It's, it's, kind of we've, we've, we've gone so far down the this must be a good learning experience or this is scientifically or robustly instructionally designedly sound but if we don't understand the context of the person that we're seeking to influence then that investment has, is largely redundant isn't it yeah, I think so. I, I think I guess there's there's it'll be interesting to see. But you know, when, whilst we've we've been through this this period of pivoting or refocus or whatever we call it, I, I think there's there's a real risk, and this is probably what you know. Maybe this is what you're you're describing as well. There's a real risk that we as an industry ha, have used digital to solve the problems of doing what we uh, uh, what we would mm-hmm. like to do. You know, yeah. of, our, of our delivery, we're solving the problems of digital delivery of of learning and development services or solutions or, yeah. or products so we're finding a way to make them live in the digital world which is a kind of supply side thinking and i wonder whether we're being you know whether we'll find uh, the time or i think we should try to find the time to look at you know the the other end of that as well is you know what what does the demand side of this look like that isn't just about distribution but distributing yeah. to whom and when and what and why uh, and in what context as you said you know sort of how does that feel to land I think, you know, I, I, it's interesting to, you know, to observe now how many webinars are out there. Um, but th- it, I think whereas, you know, maybe 18 months ago, a webinar was an interesting thing you might do on your lunch break. Mm. You know, now your lunch break is basically, you know, maybe a moment between Zoom meetings where you'd yeah. want to do something different. So I, I think we need to be, you know, that there's an obvious point of context that's changed there that we need to be alive to as one you, small example, perhaps. Yeah, you've hit, you've, uh, you've hit on another point there. Um, about um, different modes of delivery, um, you may have seen that uh, that, that Donald Taylor's uh, sentiment analysis, his, his annual mm. sentiment analysis, came out, uh, and he noted that you know there was I think that there was a there was a new number one, uh, but but the um, the it's largely that that top ten or top twenty is largely about different delivery models. It's not it's never it's never really about um, uh, the 
digital capability. It's never about what I might do differently to develop my skill set. It's what I might buy in to offer something different to um, my clients. And, and it's really interesting how uh, AR and VR aren't visible in the sentiment analysis. <laughs> you, know, you go, that was a short stay. And I think it's because yes. you know, it's, it's, a, it's another example where you know, there, there's a new and novel mode of delivery. So therefore, we must learn all about it. If we're not able to find an application, then it will just fall away. And the one bit that's missing is we're not developing ourselves. We're just seeking novel digital solutions, again, in inverted commas. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and, and it's, you know, solutions to how we deliver. I think you're right. And I, and I, I think, you know, there's probably some of those other themes that, that might help us kind of unlock this, uh, you know, maybe uh, um, is, is that we, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to experiment now with, you know, mm. with, with different ways of, of thinking and working. And I think, you know, but if you think back to the early, whatever you call it, early lockdown, phase one, lockdown, lockdown one, you know, back, back in sort of March and April of last year. Yeah. It was terrifying yet exciting to see, you know, everyone just, you know, having to be thrown out there to try and find ways to make stuff work. Mm. And quite often then using the tools of the workplace to, to meet, you know, what we would not, might typically call, you know, L&D goals. If people were using, you know, Zoom and Teams, et cetera, and, and other tools and, and services to make that work. Mm. And I, I think what what encouraged me about that was, that, you know, that was effectively, that was kind of lean experimentation. What have we got here? How are we going to solve this problem? How's that working? Don't set it in stone as a program, but treat it as, uh, you know, as a first phase or release mm. one or whatever you might call it. And then, you know, build, measure, learn and evolve from there. And, and I, I, I suppose, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity to continue to do that. The risk is if we fix in finding new ways to deliver, then we'll avoid some of that experiment because we're not, we're not going to be measuring all of the right data in those experiments, perhaps. If you see what mm. I mean, we're going to be stuck on how well does the delivery work rather than, uh, you know, satisfying, uh, you know, user goals and or learner goals and, 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 you know, and the impact we're having, therefore. So I think there's a kind of, sort of slight, I feel slightly, you know, um, ambivalent about that. I think there's a great opportunity, but I'm nervous that we're missing it as well. Mm. What, what you're describing there is uh, with, with, the, with the lean approach uh, is also um, can be a less risky and less expensive approach to, to experimenting yes. and finding out both what the real problem is and then finding a solution that makes a demonstrable difference. Whereas in so much, so much of learning and development, and this is where I, I think we've we've not really um, shaken off the shackles and the expectations of the early 2000s when um, online products were expensive, they required, therefore they needed uh, a great deal of currency in order to shoehorn them uh, or at least shoehorn the, uh, the expectation into the organization. It took uh, a great deal of attention and a huge amount of commitment. I mean, it was big bet after big bet after big bet. If you got one, any of that wrong, I mean, by wrong, uh, I mean, I don't know what the what the um, uh, the definition of failure is as far as uh, learning technology is concerned, because I think that largely it is an industry of failure. Um, <laughs> if I can be, if I can be so bold, um, that's pretty bold. <laughs> but um, uh, but what, what you're describing there, and I'd I'd love to go on and paint, you know, uh, and ask you to paint a bit bit more of a picture there. But if you are um, uh, chasing data by by simply 
um, taking what you hear as needs as assumptions, exploring that a little bit more with the end user. So you, you're really laser focused on what the problem is. You work with them in order to see whether that can be solved. And then you try perhaps with what is freely available you know, on the on the net or within your organization to see whether you can scale something and then you'd spend the money on automating that when it actually works. I mean, mm. that's kind of my my layman version of, uh, of of perhaps what it might look like to paint a picture of uh, of what L and D is missing in digital. But I wonder whether you could you know throw a frame around it to, to kind yeah. of bring this to life. Well, I'll have a go, definitely. I think it's interesting because a lot, a lot of the work I do, you know, is sort of bring up this this theme of build, measure, learn or sort of, you know, lean startup thinking and practice, et cetera. And, and, and there is an anxiety there. Well, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to run experiments. We've got stuff to do. <laughs> and, you know, which is, you know, perhaps a natural response to that sort of you feel like you're tinkering at the edges. Yeah. But I think I think if you go back to, you know, where this stuff came from and why, you know, why it's been sort of organized into a method is because it came from startups who don't have any money. The mm. reason that, that that lean you know the lean startup approach came to life is because people are bootstrapping you know with very little funds and very few people and very few resources to try and build a business yeah. so they were focused on working out from first principles you know what seems to have the most value for, for, for our end users get a version of that up and running and find out, you know, did it have value? Did it have it value in the right way? But don't do so much that you've committed a load of your money and time and you've burnt your cash. Mm. Um, but, you know, do it in the smallest way to, to measure the most value. And then, you know, then as, as we say, iterate from there. So I think there's a sort of misconception of where lean comes from. It doesn't come from, you know, these sort of VC funded startups who've been given $20 million. It comes yeah. from the people who, you know, get trying to get to that point. So I think there's also a point of, uh, you know, of, of this, perhaps, you know, just to chuck a, chuck a bit more digital jargon around uh, on a, you know, of a, a, a Wednesday morning. So the notion of a minimum viable product can, can, yeah. can suffer some abuse as well, because I think, you know, this idea of focusing on the smallest step to the most value is where the MVP is most helpful. Mm. And I think often, and I've been guilty of this as well, we kind of over configure an MVP because stakeholders think, well, but it doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. It doesn't do the other. And then you've committed so much that, you know, you're kind of you, you effectively, you know, you've got to go live because mm. you're so far down the roadmap. Um, before you know what the roadmap should be so i think there's something really important to recognize about you know that that those approaches are built from uh, you know a kind of poverty of time and resources uh, and i think if we get back to some of that mindset uh, back to the mindset theme then i think we might find if you can carve a little time in your you know in your teams to to, to run experiments in that very lean way you might start to find that you know you understand what, what the organization's values more and more quickly mm. Uh, but what you're describing there, um, Miles, isn't new. I mean, it's um, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to burst any bubble. And no, no, no. As I I'll, said, I'll move I've on been, quickly. I've been hacking around you. this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not here to. to these, these aren't me revealing the tablets of stone. No. This is, you know, it's not even. These aren't my ideas. This is just. I, I suppose the, these are themes from my working history, both you know, sort of uh, on the client side and now as a consultant that I still think are very, very valid. And you know, when I get excited about, them, I think, wow, this is great. Look, all the answers are here. Yeah. And then on the other hand i get very you know sometimes despondent and frustrated it's, why aren't people doing this um yeah but it's never that simple it's, it's not that simple and uh, and i'll uh, and i'll and i'll look to to backtrack and uh, and cover myself <laughs> a little bit um uh 
before moving forward on this, you know, you, what you're talking about, you know, with uh, with Ajahn Lean um, has its um, kind of genesis in software development. Many yes. learning and development will be saying, oh, yeah, but I'm not a software developer. You, but some of these have been proven and have transformed marketing into digital marketing. They, there are all sorts of uh, other disciplines and professions that have truly been transformed and don't just do different stuff to get the same results. They do fundamentally different stuff and they achieve more um, quantifiable results and reliably and predictable results than perhaps we do in learning and development where we're still chasing clicks uh, to, to uh, justify the investment in uh, um, expensive uh, learning tech. Um, you've also spoken before about uh, about product management being uh, being a, a, a key perhaps to, to learning and development. I wonder if you could just um, give us some insight into where these approaches are currently working and perhaps go some way to dispel uh, some of the, the beliefs that, oh, but those are different from learning and development. We do things differently here. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I suppose, you know, I, I've been banging the, the product management drum for, for a long time. And, and mm. I think one, you know, the sort of the most important reasons I think it's valuable is because we've just seen it work. As you said, it's transformed industries, yeah. not the only thing, no, but a part of the reason product management works is because it has, you know, it's got a commercial and business focus. Yeah. It, it draws in what are the commercial, what's the commercial potential? What are the commercial dynamics, you know, the investment requirements, the return, et cetera, that are required. So a good product manager understands those business requirements uh, and how the industry works. In, as well as being you know focused and really insightful about what users and consumers need and what's really driving what are the underlying uh, uh, needs and, and, and desires from them mm. and, you know and plus they have some technology understanding as well they don't necessarily need to be a developer or an engineer but they understand the components of building a solution so they bring those three those three elements of mindset together so you know, commercial business user obsession and technology understanding mm. and i think what one, one of the things that, that i think we've probably observed is that l and d has tended to and this is not just l and d i think you know lots of other functions and organizations have done this they digital belongs to the technology part of the organization because it's about technology isn't yeah. it which is that's kind of limited definition mm. of digital so you tend to have digital growing through in, in l and d and in hr you know you know sometimes in operations and other functions it comes through the technology part of the organization so it tends to be uh, you know uh, it tends to focus on systems and systems implementation, which is that, you know, the heritage of learning technology is about systems, yeah. uh, you know, and the implementation and if, you know, the rollout of systems, etc. So, so I, th I think that that's one of the reasons that, you know, we get a bit stuck in L&D on, on, on product management. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge because it brings in um, those other components and good product managers are hard to find because it's a valuable, you know, if you've got, if you're good, you know, you can choose your work, um, you know, in a sense, because it's, mm. it's, you know, it's a very, very highly sought after uh, set of capabilities. I guess, you know, I, I've had conversations in L&D about this where people sort of slightly sort of blink and, and, and cock their heads and think, well, that's not relevant to us. And I just, I can't think of an industry where digital you know, disruption has occurred, where product management isn't at the heart of it, whether yeah. it's, you know, media, it's retail it's you know music it's communication uh, uh, you know in, in the now kind of the social components of all of those things it's all built on that product management approach so it, i don't know if you need you know why would lnd not require that 
I think is my question back, you know, what's mm. different and special about L&D that shouldn't adopt that approach? And I can't think of much um, other than internal resistance to, you know, to working that way, um, you know, which, which I, think, I think isn't always true. But, you know, yeah. I, can't, I can't, I don't know, it's sort of done with, it's a slightly unhelpful answer, maybe. But I think, you know, what's different about L&D that where the, where the product management approach should or shouldn't or couldn't work? Well, Kurt, I, I might have an opinion or two on this. Uh, on this, okay. <laughs> Do you Go know what ahead. I think it is? I think it's our obsession with learning. So we look right. at a product. We look at product management, and we say, "Yeah, that works for them." But but my, my e-learning is instructionally sound. I know the science of learning. I I create brain friendly learning, right? So 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 what we've done, you've got this over here, and then you've got the other guy. Go, yeah, but. But with product management, what you do is you, you understand the, the critical points of failure in any given organization. You'd, uh, you'd, um, you'd take that data, you validate that with the end user. Then you've got the learning person going, <laughs> but they don't know what they need to learn. So, so you're stuck in a learning box over here, where on the other side, you've got a profession uh, or, or a discipline such as um, uh, product management that is used to now getting real business results but the learning and development, the pure learning and development person, pure in inverted commas, uh, it is a term that I've used to, to, um, to, that means that we don't really want to branch out into your digital stuff. Um, we'll, we'll look at that and wonder how it can possibly improve their learning offering. And I think that that's where we've got a real disparity and where learning and development um, will see themselves um, as, an, as artists, that use science to back up what they believe in their art, elements of neuroscience and a lot of the pseudoscience that's associated with it. Whereas if you take a step into product management, you're gonna to have to become a bit of a scientist, a bit of an engineer. And I think that learning and development don't wish to identify uh, in that area or perhaps feel very uncomfortable in identifying mm. uh, in those areas. I wonder how that lands, Miles. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess, I suppose because, you know, where I've seen the product management approach work well in, in, in learning, it tends to break things down, uh, you know, into, into sort of, you know, maybe if you take that lean approach, for example, you know, you break things down into the smallest possible step to value and then you build from there and it can become quite detailed and sophisticated from there but it tends to sort of break things down into you know into smaller components so that you yeah. can get started and I think probably that that might feel you know uh, um, from from the scenario that you were painting that might feel like well actually but you're then f therefore kind of reducing uh, um, you know my insight and understanding and therefore yeah. my impact from a learning specialist point of view um, I wonder I suppose you know if you're a good product manager coming into the L&D world or born from the L&D world, you should be able to take that on though and say, well, okay, that's part of the business benefit and part of the user need is to solve that problem, you know, for, for the organization and for the end user so that the learning does happen. They can solve that problem. They can lead that team or they can manage that product, um, you know, but you don't necessarily need to call it learning from, from so, the learner's sorry, point Mars, of view. I lost you for a long period of time there. Um, I wonder if you go back, you said if you're a good product manager with a, with a, a grounding in L and D. You started off like that, and I lost you right there. So I wonder if you would oh, mind okay. doing that part again. Is that okay? Yes. Yes. Yeah, sorry about this connection. It's no, a pain. no, that's all right. I go, I'll go and I'll go and discipline my children later for using <laughs> the bandwidth. <laughs> so, so I wonder if you know if you're an effective product manager, whether you know you might come from a, a, an L and D background, or you might be 
coming into it to, to the L and D world uh, as you know as a product manager uh, from elsewhere. In a sense, if you you know if you, if you have the time and you can do your job well, you should be able to bring out those um, learner needs. Mm. You know, what is it that the learner is trying to solve? What is it that they're trying to get done? What difference you know do they want to make with the organization's needs? You know, the business need. Uh, what change do they want to see? What outcomes are they looking for? You should be able to bring those things out with your you know your learning design specialist colleagues, your instructional designers, or your uh, you know neuroscientists or or, or whichever. Uh, um, sort of network of experts you have um, to you know to bring those insights to bear in the product environment uh, most effectively and knowing that you're doing it because you test as you go mm. so that's kind of how I think it should work I guess that feels perhaps you know to your you know to sort of think thinking about the scenario that you painted that maybe that just feels like you know from a learning point of view we're losing control that we're not oh. we're not in charge of the design then which I think you are, but it just feels different because it's actually the product manager who's putting together with their team mm. that you know the, the overall construction of the solution. Um, so, I, so I, I wonder if that's part of the challenge. And I, and I think there is, you know, there is a, 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 a you know one of the things that L and D tends to do is like to control, you know, because if we're in a training room, you know, part of the history is, is you know you're you're in front of the classroom and you're in control. Mm. Um, whereas in the digital space, you have to see control to your user, otherwise it's not going to work well. You know, hence the the woes with mandatory training. Mm. Um, so so I, th I wonder if that you know if that's part of the, uh, of the challenge there. It feels like you know as learning designers, we're losing control. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that uh, there's something in that. I think uh, continuing this theme uh, uh, as well. I think that stakeholders probably play a, a role in this that uh, it's much harder to sell an iterative and emergent solution than it is to sell a course or a program because everybody yes. knows what a course and a program looks like regardless of content uh, and it's easy uh, easy for the stakeholders to sell to their people as well whereas um, if you don't know what the solution is then that that as an alternative to the known can be quite tricky and uncomfortable but as I've had guests uh, state on the, uh, the podcast previously, if you sell um, progress towards a defined outcome, that's usually accepted uh, rather than just the delivery or the provision of a program or some content. Now, Miles, you published recently a, a post um, that, unless I've, uh, uh, I've, I've written it down wrong, it's called Time to Move On from Digital Mindset, in which you outline 17 features of good digital teams. Many of them will be alien to a traditional L&D team. Uh, I wonder whether you could touch on a few of these, uh, perhaps some of the, the more um, uh, prescient of those. And, and I've got a question, would, is it necessary to address all of these at once or is there a logical place to start? And of course, before before I hand over to you, I, I will put a link in the show notes to that article so uh, so uh, the listener can uh, can see all seventeen features. I guess I suppose I mean we've we've probably covered some some of the points, and I guess it's just a sort of a little bit of uh, you know as an intro to, to where the idea of the post came from. I was sort of thinking thinking on this theme as we've discussed about about digital mindset, and and. At the root of my thought was the idea. Well, we're, aren't we all kind of working digital first now? Mm. Um, you know, we've kind of been catapulted into that, like it or not. You know, here I am, sat at my little desk, you know, in the in the the, the playroom at home, you know, where I've never worked before, uh, um, you know, working entirely digitally. Um, 
and and I was thinking, well, if that's true for us, then maybe you know, we need to stop thinking about it as a digital mindset. It should just be a good mindset. Yeah. And maybe we shouldn't have a head of digital role because actually everything's digital now. Maybe we shouldn't have a virtual classrooms because there aren't any classrooms. So actually, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a gathering of of people. So I think there's partly sort of you know does does this change signal something deeper that we need to reflect in the language we use? Was it was a bit of the motivation behind it? And then I suppose what I was trying to do was to gather together what what I see and have seen as you know these themes of of, of a good uh, mindset for, for not just for individuals but for teams as well. You know when it's working well where the mindset's at play and you can observe it what are they doing mm. uh, and, and i think some some of the components we've talked about you know, build, build measure learn etc I, I think there's probably one that 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 you know we reference quickly that i would call out that that's something that i think we we all need to to really consciously choose to do is this theme of evidence-based decision making and, and the sort of the data gathering uh, as a reflex and it's part of you know it is it's the along with connection as i said earlier this you know data is the foundation of digital it works Mm. because of data you know way back in whenever it was 1994 or 95 when you know when uh, um, the netscape browser hit the markets you know part of the data gathering capability there was the server log file which is gathered as a you know engineers decided we want to know what happened and that was almost like you know sort of the 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 seed of, of 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 that sort of data revolution was that everything that happens leaves an imprint of data behind and it's our responsibility to look to that data as as you know as, as a really important source of decision making not the only source of decision making but i think so i think that's somewhere we have to start along with some of these other mindset changes yeah i couldn't agree more i think that uh, the data can provide us a good signal something that uh, that can let us know that there is a real problem that needs addressing and if it isn't addressed then, uh, then there could be a critical point of failure in any given operation, whether that be at an organizational level, a departmental level, or simply just a, a team or, or individual level. But, but that's the signal. And I think that what you're describing then, that it's not the only thing, is that then, that then does require further uh, investigation. The evidence yeah. that's required, if we, if, if we see that there is a problem, there is signal, then we need to then it's going to be pretty logical then to determine who's actually involved, whose performance is is uh, is accountable for that data, or who's who are the main actors for which we need to then uh, explore with them what they are actually experiencing, what is and isn't effective and efficient within their ability to perform. So you've got your data and your evidence. Then once you've got that the solution can be really pointed. And that's when we go back to what you described before, having an experimental mindset, um, thinking lean uh, to to build, measure, learn, to to actually affect the data that at the outset was your signal and then use smart technology or just use dumb technology to begin with to scale and get smarter to to automate and to to continue to learn and get more sophisticated as, uh, as you wish. But... Um, look, I'm, I'm with you. I think that so many learning and development problems are um, created um, rather than fully investigated. Um, you know, a, a good one would be, say, um, quality conversations or courageous conversations. There's a solution looking for a problem. Uh, and then any, any problem can be, uh, can be picked up and said, well, that quality conversations could fix that. And then everybody agrees around it because it, you know, it seems pretty logical. But the only thing that's not explored is that there is actually a problem with that group of people 
for which they're looking a solution that uh, that might be the one that's being hawked around and uh, and and largely agreed upon because mm. it was a an in inverted commas success elsewhere um I think you're right. I, th I think that theme of, of, of signals and not proof is really important, actually. And I think we, we tend to get sort of stuck on promising proof and expecting proof um, when when proof might not be available. And, and you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, the sort of the, that the, the eternal quest for, for return on investment, um, you know, and I think that, that a lot of data gathering gets misconstrued as a contribution to, to return on investment it's important mm. but it's not the only thing and i think if you can there's there's one one of the ways back back in the search engine days that you know this is i'm sure it's become much more sophisticated since i hope so anyway um <laughs> that we used to look at frequency of use as a really important leading indicator mm. uh, of satisfaction you know that the, the people come back to the search engine more frequently that's you know it doesn't tell us that they love it or they think it's better but it's a pretty good indicator yeah. and actually also frequent users were more valuable they tended to be more loyal and they tended to click on more ads as well mm. so we thought you know frequency of use was a really important indicator but it was only one number it didn't tell us a whole bunch of other things that we also needed to know and find out yeah um you know and i, th I think it's really important as to, to sort of think about the digital data we can gather as those kind of leading or proxy measures mm. that don't tell you the answer but they're a really important signal as to whether something's working for, you know or not or how far it's working or how quickly it's working now, Miles, um, as we as we look to uh, to wrap this up, um, especially because we talked about uh, seventeen features of uh, of good digital teams in, uh, from uh, from earlier on, uh, we've we've touched on many of them here. I'd like to end this by providing some comfort as well as some guidance as to where L and D folks, uh, individuals, and teams could develop um their uh, their skill sets so that they can take advantage of the uh the, the opportunity that digital provides um so yeah so what what development should they do and what perhaps should they focus on first yeah i, th I think there's one thing that i think that, that i've always really loved about working in lnd that i don't i don't think uh, um, should be overlooked is actually one of the most important impulses that I've come across with the you know, L&D professionals is they want to help people. Yeah. It's one of the most important motivations of people in the profession is they like to help people, uh, you know, help people solve problems, help people develop, help people make the most of themselves, etc. I think that is, you know, that's a really good place to start, you know, is trying to sort of almost find out where do you think you can start to help in small ways, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps, and, you know, that's, it's kind of, it matches maybe our personal impulse with, with, with actually adding value. Um, and I think there's probably, uh, you know, where to start to help is try and find those places where the organization has a problem and the user has a problem at the same time, almost, you mm -hmm. know, sort of you to, to alight on those and, and start to find ways, you know, to, to, to meet those demands. And I, I think one of the things that I think is really interesting that, that I've seen work uh, um, in and around L and D is, is helping people make the right connections. Mm. Um, and I think it's one of the things that, you know, digital does best, as we said, you know, connection is a kind of one of those, foundation stones of digital but also it's something that we as lnd can can be quite helpful to in in, in many organizations because we know the organization well you know if you're doing your job well you're probably well networked mm. you might get to start facilitating those connections in simple ways uh, you know and see see how that goes that's something i've found that you know people find 
can you can start small and, and develop from there and you may or may not need to actually invest in any technology at all for that because mm. typically organizations have some way of managing those connections and yeah. in fact often there's lots of informal whatsapp groups there where it's happening anyway and find out what they are and build from there maybe yeah fabulous um thank you miles if people wish to follow your work and connect with you on social media how can they do so uh, so I guess Miles Runham at LinkedIn is probably uh, uh, the best place. There's the website and, and blogging as often as I can at, uh, at milesrunham.com uh, um, with a new regular website feature to be unveiled, actually. I'll leave that there as, 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 a, as a tidbit. Um, and also Miles Run, M-Y-L-E-S-R-U-N on Twitter as well. Those are probably the three best places to, to look. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Miles. And thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks very much, Dave. It was a great conversation again. Thank you. It may not be recognised from within, but L&D is certainly lacking in digital competence, and there are skills gaps reports that call this out. The ramifications of these being that we don't close the skills gap for our organisations, but we actually contribute to them with our own lack of digital capability. Fortunately, there are those, like Miles, who have laid out what we need to focus on so we can address this right now. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.